0: Welcome to the Workbase podcast. Our topic today is organization leadership in a pandemic. Our guest today, which I'm delighted to say, is Marty Linsky. Marty is just retired after nearly 40 years teaching about leadership, media and politics at the Harvard Kennedy School, where he has landed after careers in politics and journalism. He is the author and co-author of dozens of books, chapters and op-ed pieces, including being co author with Ron Heifetz of the best-selling book Leadership on the Line. Marty, welcome to the Workplace Podcast.
1: William, it's great to be here. It's great to reconnect with you. It uh, it feels like... uh, when we met, we were going through one kind of a pandemic and now we're going through another kind of a pandemic.
0: Exactly. Uh, And, you know, I have really good memories of you, fond memories at that um, when you were leading the program on adaptive leadership uh, in in, uh, Harvard. And you were very generous with your time, I must say that. Uh, I was quite surprised. Um, And you gave me many inputs, you sought my inputs, uh, you gave me lots of advice and feedback. And I came away from that program with lots of key takeaways but also very confident so thank you very much for that
1: well that's wonderful it's great to hear that uh, because you never know you know when you're uh, uh, in front of the room like that whether you're making any difference at all
0: yeah well you certainly made a difference to my coaching practice and my uh, leadership development facilitation so marty thanks a million for that and what were your memories of me uh in the classroom
1: well, of course, you know, the, uh, the Irish contingent, uh, always, uh, was very present, uh, and very, very challenging, I think, you know, because, uh, uh, I, I think there's a, um, uh, there's a healthy skepticism that you brought to the conversation, uh, which was really useful because it pushes, uh, it, you know, pushed me to be clearer, to think harder and, uh. To be more um, precise about what I was saying, so uh, I remember our I- exchanges um, fondly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks for that for, for for that, Marty. And a bit like that, at my first night in Harvard, then we we had this whole conversation about um, leading in unprecedented times, and this is the topic of our conversation today: organization leadership in a pandemic. So, what do you think? What's going on in leaders' minds at the moment? Do you think?
1: Well, of course, as you remember, William, I don't like to use the word leader. Yeah. Uh, Because I think of leadership as a behavior, not as a person. Mm. And I worry that when we use the word leader, we conflate that idea with having a big job. And to me, you can exercise leadership from any position in any organization. But saying that, I think these times present a very unique challenge for people in positions of authority, people who uh, uh, le- run teams, people who are CEOs and executive directors, um, who people who have a lot of people working for them. I think uh, working under these conditions is, is very um, challenging. And it's challenging in part, I think, because it um, uh, forces people to operate outside of their comfort zones. Um, and to me, the, what is the dominant quality of the time that we're in is what I think of as radical uncertainty. Yeah, And uh, uh, people at the top of organizations are expected to know the answers and to have the answers. And that is particularly the case when we're operating under periods of uncertainty not nobody has ever been where we are uh you know none of us have ever been in this place in our lifetimes Uh, and so it is um at a period of time in which people are expecting hoping that people in authority know what they're doing uh, they don't have the foggiest idea yeah And so that creates some tension. So in my work with uh, CEOs and executive directors and um, vice presidents of organizations, I've been trying to help them um, not get sucked into providing answers when they don't have any answers. And I don't think, I think that's, that's not what this time needs, even though it's what people want. So that's the way I would begin this conversation is by thinking about what does it mean to operate to to manage a group of people on times of radical uncertainty when you as the senior person don't have the foggiest idea of what's coming.
0: Yeah. And it, it, you know it begs the question then and this is where I'm going to bring my 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 healthy question back to you Marty uh, if you'll allow me to do that is is then is how do leaders communicate that? Because some people will will say, well, that's okay for you to say, but so how do you communicate that?
1: Well, I think you do it two ways. I think there are two, well, I'd say more than that. I'd say there are three three big ideas here. Uh, The first is um, in periods of difficulty, chaos, uncertainty, people want you to be present. Um, and being present is more important than almost anything else. People want you to be there for them, to know that you're there for them. So what does that look like, particularly when we're operating virtually? I think it looks like three things. First, um, there is no such thing as over-communication. Constant, constant communication, even when you don't have anything to say. People need you to be present. When people start telling you, not to send them any more emails, not to schedule any more meetings, no more texts. You know you're doing okay under these circumstances. People need to know you're there. The second piece of this is what I think of as deep empathy. That is, um, people need to know that you understand how difficult this is. And my experience and observation is that what it One of the things that's unusual about this time is that everybody is on their own journey. You know, you talked to me about soul parenting for a couple of days. Everybody is dealing with this in a different way. They have different sets of considerations, different sets of concerns. So it requires people in positions of authority to be deeply empathetic, for example, just to make something tangible out of that. I would encourage people in positions of authority to start every meeting with a check-in. How are you doing? What's going on in your life? How are you feeling? You know? Uh, what, what's keeping you awake at night? How are your kids doing? You know? Um, because we, we we don't know. Everybody's dealing with this differently. This is this is we have this shared experience at a very high level of abstraction. But once you get close to the ground, everybody's journey is different and it's an emotional journey as well as a physical and mental journey. So I think checking in with people, constantly trying to figure out how they're doing, what's going on in their life, that's the second piece. The third piece, which is the one that most directly addresses your question, is to um, acknowledge that you are going through a journey too. Yeah, It's about being willing to be vulnerable, you know? Being able to say to people, look, I'm not sure what's going to happen. We're doing the best we can. Um, uh, I'm, I'm having trouble figuring out, here's my kids behind me on the Zoom call. Um, this is complicated for me too, you know. So people feel like you're you're not standing apart from their experiences. Yours is different, but you're having an experience too. So those three pieces all are about being present for people. Um, The second piece, I would think, is to be um, to to hold um, relentless optimism with brutal realism at the same time. Yeah. Um, People need to feel that you are positive about the future. If you are Debbie the Downer, um, that is going to be very consequential in a negative way to the organization but they don't want you to be unrealistic. So this holding relentless optimism and brutal realism together, you know? We're gonna get through this, but there are gonna be some bumps along the road. We're gonna take some losses. Uh, There are some people who are gonna find this more difficult than others. We may have to give up some things that we care about, right? but being positive and hopeful at the same time. So I think that's the second piece, relentless optimism and brutal realism. Um, The third I think is to uh, be generous, generous to yourself and generous to others. People are gonna say things and do things that that are um, a function of the anxiety that people feel and being generous being forgiving to yourself as well as to other people seems to me to be a third piece, you know. So it's not drop out drawing lines in the sand and say, if you if you do this, you know, if you don't do this, you know, we're in real trouble and you're out of here. It's about being flexible, being generous, being forgiving. Um, those are, I, I think, values which are particularly relevant in the time we're in. So I would identify those three pieces as Quite distinctive,
0: and a lot of the the, the people that I show show tremendous leadership would be is a bit like that. Is 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 the balance between kindness and grit and, and steel? You know, yes. would you agree yes. with that?
1: Yes, and, and those are not uh, intention. You know, um, you, you can be um, uh, determined. And also be generous. It's not about being soft, you know. Mm. It's about saying, "Hey, look, we've never been here before. None of us have ever been here. We don't know what the hell we're doing, right? We're we're doing the best we can. We're making the best guesses. And and um, I expect that you're gonna you're gonna say some things or do some things that I wouldn't like, and I'm gonna do that too. And we're all gonna figure this out, and we'll keep moving forward together, right?" So I think it is about being kind and not equating kindness with softness.
0: Unprecedented times are in uncharted territory. So then people say, well, now that we have that, we're doing that check-in, they might say, well, where to next? You yeah. know, so so how do we navigate that path forward then?
1: I think that's a great question. And to me, it, it uh, embodies how this moment is an opportunity as well as a challenge, Um, because um, so much is unknown that it gives people in organizations and teams an opportunity to try to invent the future, create the future, rather than try to predict the future. So if you say to people, hey, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know all the dynamics here, but what would we what would we like to look? What would we like to look like a year from now, two years from now? And if you can do that, if you can help people take responsibility, have the courage to invent the future, then the decisions that you make today can be put through that filter. Is this going to move us toward that point or not, right? Um, providing this service, cutting out this division. Uh, promoting these people, what, whatever decisions you're making today, you can put them through that filter of here's where we'd like to be a year or two from now. So resisting the temptation to predict the future, but um, uh, embodying, encouraging the idea of inventing the future, you know, yeah, because yeah. so much is unknown, it's an it's a it's an open playing field,
0: yeah. So it's creating that ideal future state to where the organization should be at or your team is at.
1: Yes, yes. And and then you can begin to make decisions not under the pressure of today's circumstances, but through the prism of does this does this move us forward where we said we want to be? You know? Yeah.
0: And and then there's there's a there's a couple of assumptions there, you know, in terms of well. Well, how do you know to navigate the way forward in that future state and this is where you were talking about that empathy piece is do we focus on our stakeholders there or people who are on the front line that might have a lot more knowledge that we do maybe listening as a leader uh, to people is a very important element to that path forward
1: I think it's particularly relevant now when, going back to what I was saying before, everybody is going through a, uh, a distinctive personal journey. And uh, that requires, I think, your listening to people in a different way. But and in my experience in, in working with CEOs over the past year, that is very much intentioned. With what people say they want from senior authorities, they want you to be decisive. They want you to tell them where we're going. Uh, they want you to make decisions. You want they want you to be um, uh, unrealistically reassuring. And none of those things—that's what they want, but it's not really what they need. What they need is, as you were suggesting, is to is to to, to be heard. Mm. You know. Um, And to continue to give people a sense of their own agency, you know, rather than um, uh, default to their desire to be dependent on you, to push back on that and uh, confirm their own agency about having a say in the future.
0: And that's what I really agree with because that, that's that been pretty much my experience is that sometimes leaders take on too much responsibility for that path forward yes. and maybe not place enough responsibility on, on others and delegate that responsibility out and people have that ownership, you know, of that as well.
1: Yes, and I think that tendency is exacerbated in the times of uncertainty, which is why it's so important, I think, you know, in general i i agree with you you that that uh default but in times of uncertainty it's even more intense people mm. people want you to take care of them and fix them yeah uh and assure them it's going to be okay and pushing back on that is harder to do and it's it's kind of uh, um it's more challenging when the desire for dependence is even stronger than it is normally okay but it's um, more important
0: yeah of course of course and, yeah, and there, needs to be, there needs to be a certain level of awareness for yourself if you are in a uh, position of authority then to to have that self-awareness and self-knowing
1: yes i think that's very much true it's it's um you know i think about um uh how important it is uh, in these times for people who are senior authorities and organizations to take the responsibility of taking care of themselves. Um, You know, uh, sacrificing your body for the cause is not not the right strategy, even though it may make you feel noble and it may make other people feel like you're, um, you know, uh, you're a wonderful character. But the reality is I think that in these times, you have to bring your A game and you can't bring your A game uh, if you are not in your framing. You you know, you don't have the capacity to stand back and say, hmm, what's going on here? Am I being seduced by the the pressure that's being put on me to make decisions that I shouldn't be making? it, but it also means things that are more mundane, taking care of yourself. It means making sure you get time for yourself, um, you know, no, no matter how you carve that out. It, it means, um, you know, getting regular exercise and it means eating healthy. And it means even being, you know, loved and adored in healthy ways so you feel like a whole person. But because you, you I, I've seen it, examples of it. people. Um, burn themselves out and feel very noble and they are not doing their best um, because they're exhausted uh, emotionally and physically exhausted so i think it's even more important than it is in calmer times to take responsibility for taking care of yourself because organizations and systems will take as much of you as you're willing to give yeah Uh, and if you're willing to give 150%, they'll take 150%. And that's not good for them, and it's not good for you.
0: Yeah, we, we actually, this has been a, a recurrent theme on the podcast. So many leadership experts uh, have been commenting on this, this, the same things about, about self-care. And, you know, in terms of what we talked about, that was... One pitfall or one seduction that happens. What are the other seductions that people have? What are the other pitfalls that leaders might might fall into?
1: Well, I think equating vulnerability with weakness. Yeah, you know, um, people because people will push against that. They will say, you know, we we did we hired you to to be a decision maker and to be strong and um, and uh, so was being able to resist that, I think, is important. Um, uh, I guess the fear of delivering losses, you know, um, there are some decisions you're going to make which are going to be experienced as losses for people. Um, And I think instead of... um, telling people to suck it up and get with the program, to be willing to um, see yourself as a grief counselor. Yeah. Uh, Because I think, you know, in times like this, exercising leadership is about the distribution of loss um, and being willing to step into that role and uh, recognize, acknowledge, honor and care for the losses that you're delivering, you know, uh, even though you think they're the right things for the organization, from individual's perspective, they're, they're painful often, you know, people's jobs are changing. People's jobs are at risk. Uh, people's functions, there are functions that organizations, uh, have been carrying that they shouldn't be carrying, um, all those things are going to be experienced as losses. And if people at the top of organizations can speak to those losses rather than uh, pretending they're not real, I think that's also an uh, uh, important to resist.
0: Yeah, and and it it goes back to that self care. Like if you want to be, you know, be a grief counselor, you have to do a lot of self care. There or else you're yes, going to be emotionally right. spent as well.
1: Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Right, uh, and, and it's um, it, it's an opportunity for people in positions of authority to run some experiments. You know, one of the things that I've observed in working with CEOs and executive directors is that they are learning a lot about their people. Uh, they're learning a lot about not only how people operate under stress, but by, you know, what talents people have and what talents people don't have, and so they're they're seeing this as an opportunity to understand more deeply the. Capacities of the people who work for them, uh, and one of the ways of thinking about that is that you have the chance to run a bunch of experiments, delegate some work, ask people to take on some responsibility, you know, see how they do, try something new. Um, it, it's uh, it's why I, I keep stressing that the, to uh, senior authorities that this is a moment of opportunity. Um, and if you if you think about it that way and look at it this that way, this can be an incredibly generative period. Uh, um, if you allow yourself to be uh, burdened by the challenges, um, then hunkering down uh, is the is the default, and that's not going to do anybody any good. It's not taking advantage of what what this moment presents so
0: it's a bit like playing the offensive approach rather than the defensive approach is that only what i'm hearing it's that mentality yes.
1: yes i think very much so um so i say to to ceos and senior authorities you know what what pet projects have you got lying around that you haven't had the moment and the time to get going you know take something off the shelf look at your wish list you know what, what could you try in this moment and see how it works, see what happens? Um, and I find that there's a very positive response to that. That is, almost every senior authority in organizational life has a couple of pet ideas that they'd love to try out. Well, this is a moment to do that. You know, when people are open in a way that they, because of the uncertainty, in a way that they usually are not. Uh, so it's a chance to you know, to to try some things that you wouldn't be able to do when everybody is comfortable with the status quo.
0: Yeah. So if there's an element of risk, you may as well go down to flames. You know, you may as well go down trying, you know, is, yes. is kind of yeah. what I'm hearing.
1: Right. As, as opposed to go down in flames because you're hunkering down. You know, I see it in New York City. Uh, one example. Um, I mean, uh, the economy in New York City is devastated. And you yeah. walk through midtown, it's like walking through a deserted city. I mean, it's really very tough. On the other hand, you also see stores, particularly restaurants, that have tried in creative ways to see if they can meet the needs, not only by um, uh, enhancing their takeout and delivery services, but also in creating uh, open spaces that people can Eat so I, I walked by a place a couple of days ago that has these little um, what, what do they call them? Uh, it begins with Y, Yute, utes, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yurts, yurts, right? Yeah, where, where where you can sit there in this kind of little tent that's heated and there's a flap, and the waiter comes in and takes your order. and they're wonderful, you know, and you, you, you're both out in the fresh air and you're protecting yourself from COVID and you're dining in a restaurant. Uh, so I, I, I think there's a lot of generativeness that is possible under these circumstances. That, that's not without risk because, in order to do that, a restaurant is going to make some considerable investments and, you know, hope that it takes.
0: Yeah, so it's kind of that fail, fail, quick, fail, fast uh, yes, right. and, and learning mindset, that innovative mindset.
1: Yes, yes, I think so too, you know. And, and again, going back to one of the themes that we've been talking about is um, that a learning mindset is, uh, it pushes against the pressure in the system right now. Uh, the pressure in the system is to hunker down, be conservative, don't take risks, tell me everything's gonna be okay. And what what this conversation is trying to do is to push against that tendency and to see the opportunity and the possibility that is created by this uncertainty that we're living in.
0: And it's kind of a like, counterintuitive approach, isn't it? Because we have that tendency to kind of yeah. be defensive and protect where it's it's really good to attack, really attack the opportunities that are there. Yes. And, I, and, I think that's right, and and I've I, I, I'm thinking of people that might be listening here that might be in positions of leadership and authority, and for example, they may not have gotten it right back in March, or mm. again when they relooked at this in June or or whatever, and they might have low uh, social capital either going, you know, into. Uh, into this pandemic, or maybe they lost it at, at the start. What advice might you give to them to maybe uh, recapture some of that social capital?
1: I think it's about uh, reconnecting with, on, on the most abstract level, with purpose. What are you trying to accomplish here? And then on the more concrete level, with your people. Um, my experience is, and my observation is, if your people um, feel confident that you're doing the best you can um, and that you're treating them with trust, uh, not not trust in the kind of personal relationship, but trust in the believe in you sense, um, that they will uh, uh, forgive. They will be generous to you as well. So I think it's this combination of constantly reminding people of what we're about here what we're trying to do um, what are what we want it to look like a couple of years from now and on the other hand staying very connected with your people and where they are not where you are but where they are
0: yeah yeah, yeah that's a that's a, a great uh, insight there and you know in terms of Other, I suppose, challenges or other opportunities there for leaders that if they find themselves down a little bit in a, I don't know what to do next, what what steps might you offer them then? Maybe I would
1: say take a couple of days off. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I mean that seriously. You know, my my son, uh, my youngest, runs a a podcast company, actually. uh, uh, He's got 40 people working for him. And he just went away for two days, uh, rented a small cabin and, uh, in Connecticut, the state of Connecticut. And it was really just to clear his head, you know, and try to create that distance so he could look at what's happening, re-energize himself, recommit to the purposes. And he found it absolutely spectacular. And so that's the first thing I'd say, if you, you know, if you're feeling down, you've got to take care of yourself and you've got to find that space um, to rejuvenate, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's particularly uh, true. It's almost a physical thing in, this, in the sense of um, a change of scenery. Yeah. You know, my experience personally, as well as working with lots and lots of people, is that getting away is really important. You know, uh, even if it's for a couple of days, uh, to be able to be in a different place, get out of your routines, get out of this sense of, you know, I I have to look at the newspaper to see what day it is, you know, that kind of thing. Um, So I I would encourage people to make sure that they're finding that time for themselves to revitalize, rejuvenate, re-energize.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm noticing that trend amongst people now, uh, especially, you know, in, in terms of our last, uh, the festive holidays, last Christmas break and stuff like that, people tended to take a longer break and they really yeah. came back, you know, different people, which I t- thought was, you know, fair play to people for doing that self-care piece.
1: Yeah, and I hope people will take that as a, as a signal rather than just as a one-off, you know, that, that they are going to be better at doing their work both at home and in their organizations, if they make a priority to take care of themselves.
0: And and is it okay if we touch on the 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 piece between you know the adaptive leadership and and the, the the adaptive challenge and the technical challenge just briefly here, if that's okay with you, and and how that I suppose will allow our listeners to understand what might be the path forward then for them. So especially with the pandemic. Yes.
1: I think uh, like uh, we were talking about before with other tendencies and defaults, the desire to think about difficult choices as technical choices is even more powerful under conditions of uncertainty than it is in normal times. And so one of the jobs is when you you experience... the pressure to treat a difficult problem as a technical problem. Hire McKinsey, um, uh, look for more information, um, is to push back on that and to recognize that what makes problems really hard is that they are value-laden. It's not that they are technically complex. We can hire someone to fix what's broken uh, we can hire experts, but it's because they are about people's beliefs and values and ways of doing business. You know, they're about people's identity and you know uh, uh, how they think of themselves and the way they look at themselves. Uh, and, and so, when you're dealing with with problems that are essentially value laden, you have to operate differently than when you deal with problems that are essentially technical. And the biggest mistake I think people make in trying to exercise leadership is try to treat problems that are primarily adaptive or value-laden in nature as if they were technical problems. You know, hire an expert. Um, when anybody tells me, William, that this is going to be a win-win, then I know that nothing really important is going to happen. You know? Yeah. Um, because what makes those problems what makes difficult problems difficult is that there isn't a win-win you know that there is going to be something someone left behind uh, feeling uh hurt by what has happened
0: yeah and it it goes back to that trust and honesty and authenticity as well isn't it that yes. uh, to technology and recognize that
1: yes and once again it's a situation where what we are asking of people in positions of authority is to push against the pressures on them um, to treat problems as if they were susceptible to expertise rather than um, requiring difficult value choices in an organization.
0: And and how might people recognize that they're in an adaptive piece or a, a technical challenge? How how might they how might they recognize that? What are the
1: Though when you throw a bunch of technical fixes at it and it doesn't solve the problem, then you know you're in a different <laughs> place. But I think it's also a mindset that is um, resisting looking at a problem and saying, are there underlying value issues here that are really at stake? If we fix this, um, will it really be a long-term fix or will we just be kicking the can down the road? Are there issues about who we want to be, how we want to be understood, you know, what What kind of an organization are we that are really at the heart here? When when I was working uh, for the governor of Massachusetts, uh, um, one of my jobs was personnel. And uh, uh, whenever I heard about two senior people in the government uh, not getting along, I would bring them into my office. And they would always start by saying we have a personality conflict. And it didn't take more than five or ten minutes of conversation to realize that underneath that quote personality conflict there was a value conflict about you know what a workplace ought to be and how you ought to treat people. It wasn't a it wasn't a personality conflict. It was about deeply held beliefs. I think that's very often the case in that we try to deal with problems as if they were subject to a technical fix. Just do this or just do that and everything will be okay rather than dealing with the more complicated and um, uh, difficult emotional value-laden issues underneath.
0: And that's why change is so hard for people, because they fear a loss of their values yeah. or something they're yeah. trying to protect, isn't it?
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a myth that people resist change. I, I don't think people resist change. I mean, you're, you're married, you have two kids. Those are big changes, right? We embrace change when we think it's going to be good for us. People don't resist change, they resist loss. And the pushback that you get is people's experience or fear of loss. So trying to understand what losses you're delivering, even though you think people's view of that is messed up, you know, it's their view, it's their experience, it's their anxiety. Um, Will help you in a senior role manage through that,
0: and that's the complexity, isn't it? Because we are irrational, and sometimes we mightn't understand ourselves. Even if we are uh, followers, or you know, people in an organization, um, we may not may not be fully aware ourselves. Isn't that true? Yeah.
1: Yes, and I think that goes back to what we we're saying before about finding finding the space and time to stand back and see what's going on, and also. Um, having someone who is not part of the organization that you can talk to, um, we, we think of uh, uh, the term confidant uh, and a confidant is somebody who uh, doesn't care whether your organization succeeds or fails, but they care about whether you succeed or fail. Um, there's someone who who's uh, is not is not with your is not part of your team, but they're part of your personal support network. Uh, it's really important that you have someone you can talk to, and that's you know, you know, in a, in a uh, in, in one sense, that's what therapists are. But in another sense, um, people who you you know you went to school with forty years ago, um, who you can call up and just say whatever's on your mind, uh, can serve the same kind of function.
0: So. And we're going to finish up soon because I'm I'm very conscious of your your time and and thanks very much for that, Marty. So if you were to identify kind of key characteristics of what a confidant might look like, what are the things people look for?
1: For a confidant, it's somebody who is not in your professional circle, someone who has no interest in your mission, but they have an interest in you It's someone who you can say anything that's on your mind and it will have no consequences to the relationship, right? Um, It's also someone who you can count on to tell you what you don't want to hear, right? Yeah. And you won't make any judgment about that, you know? So you can say to someone, here's my experience. Here's what happened today. Here's how this meeting went upside down. What are you hearing? And allow that person to make interpretations which are gonna be difficult and welcoming that rather than resisting that. Um, Those relationships are, you know, and I think you can make explicit contracts with people. You know, I think when you're going through a a tough time, you can call somebody up and say, look, um, you know, somebody that was in the program with you at Harvard and say, look, uh, you know, I I wanna be able to call you over the next month and have you just listen and tell me what you hear uh, and be there for me. And someday maybe I'll be able to do that for you. Uh, And I think that's, those are the kinds of qualities. It doesn't have to be uh, someone that you're intimate with. And in fact, uh, you know, my wife says she can be my confidant about everything except our (laughs) sister-in-law where (laughs) where she has a a stake right so it's yeah. someone who has doesn't have a stake in the issue yeah and it's we, funny we, like to... we, we, we tend to confuse confidants and allies and yeah. very often in organizational life we tell people who are on our team things that we shouldn't tell them you know that will come back to haunt us at some point later
0: Yeah. And it's funny, like even for me as a coaching role, people choose me as a coach because I can challenge people back or be very honest in terms of what I'm hearing, you know. So and, and it's funny you mentioned, you know, Harvard Connections is the brilliant thing about the podcast is I've I'm helping other people on the course from eight or nine years ago you know Pierre Batta and different people you know like that and they're you know they've been wonderful confidants for me you know and, That's and I'm returning the favour to them so I thought I'd let you know that. Um, so so if there are key takeaways from today what are the kind of key takeaways for our listeners today?
1: Well I would say that um, uh, the big umbrella idea is that operating in a senior authority role in a period of radical uncertainty, requires you to operate in a way that's different um, than you have been operating before. Um, And the elements of that that we've talked about are being incredibly present for people, uh, and that involves communication, endless communication, radical deep empathy, and a willingness to be vulnerable. Uh, That's what people need from you, even though it's not what they say they want from you. And the second is to see this as an opportunity uh, to be able to uh, have the courage to try to create the future with your team for the organization, uh, rather than be beaten down by the challenges, uh, rather than uh, the temptation to try to predict the future, try to create the future, And the third, which is related to that, is about taking care of yourself and the importance of bringing your best game to the party.
0: Marty, that was excellent. Thank you so much. And if people were to get in contact with you, Marty, how might they do so?
1: Uh, Well, my my email address is uh, mahtylinsky at gmail.com and be glad to hear from anybody anytime uh William it's been wonderful to reconnect with you and uh, you're looking great and take care of those kids
0: Marty thank you so much for that it's a pleasure having you on the workplace podcast
1: okay take care William have a great day
0: thanks Marty that's it for this episode of the workplace podcast my special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner. Provide your executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organisation.